Care to chat? Hello and welcome to our podcast from the Northern Ireland Social Care Council. Social care is an enormously important part of life here and during the pandemic really came to the fore as social care staff were often the only human beings in touch with some of the most vulnerable and alone people in society. They did a truly heroic job. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that in another of our podcasts when we'll also be talking about loneliness, about supporting someone who's lonely and looking after yourself, building your own resilience. We'll also hear about the career opportunities in social care right across the sector, daycare, domiciliary, residential and more, and how it can be the most rewarding of career choices. In this episode, we're focusing on the future, on better social care against a backdrop of a growing and ageing population. That includes me, by the way, and of course you. Reimagining a brighter social care future for all. No better man to do that than the Department of Health Chief Social Worker, Sean Holland, who's with me now. Great to have you here, Sean. Thank you very much for your time today. Now, the adult social care system in Northern Ireland, as your consultation document says, has had lots of problems. uh, But also, for the first time, this puts forward important solutions. And I'm really keen to focus on those today, kind of look on the bright side if we can, uh, and throw our minds forward uh, to have a look at what better social care will look like in the environment of that growing and ageing population. And you've been in this sector for a long time. So paint a picture, if you can, for us of, of how you see that. I think there are different elements to it, Wendy, but probably the most important things is to start with what people want. Um, just before we started recording this, you were talking a little bit about you know what you hoped for yourself as you get older. Um, And what I hope for myself as I get older, we all have visions of how we want to lead our lives. And I think the real challenge is to make sure that the social care we provide supports and enables people to lead the lives they want, not the lives we think they should be living. So I think that's the starting point. So it's about giving people choice and control and empowering them to be supported in the way that they want. But to get there, we've got to do a few other things. We have to fix some bits of the system. Which bits now? Because I, I presume that, that one of the main parts of this is making sure that whatever changes are going to take place can happen in a, in a sustainable way. So how do you propose to, to build that sustainable system and, and make sure that you have care services then that work well and work for everybody? Well, currently we've got two really big challenges in terms of sustainability. One is demand is increasing. Um, uh, The number of people who are needing social care and who will need social care is growing really significantly. So we need more social care to meet that increased demand. And that takes you to the second challenge, which is how do you get the supply? And one of the problems is that uh, I think that we've relied on maybe labour conditions uh, that have not always been the most favourable for many years, and we haven't properly valued uh, the job of doing social care. And as a result, we need to do something to attract more people in to provide the social care that people are going to need. So I think those are the two really important things. We need to recognise the increased demand, but then we have to sort out how we're going to supply to meet that demand. It's interesting you mentioned the word value there and and I wonder if what has happened over the last couple of years, I mean I I talked about the fact that sometimes a social care worker uh, was the only person that that, that people were seeing because no one was allowed into their homes during COVID. Has there been 
a shift in public attitude, do you think, as a result of that? All that clapping for NHS carers and realising that they were doing the things that, that families couldn't do? I think there has been a greater awareness of how important a job there is in social care and how significant it is. But the real challenge is to make sure that that doesn't fade away with a lot of our lockdown memories. Um, Some of those memories I think we'd all like to fade away, but certainly this understanding and awareness of how important social care work is, is something that we've got to fight to keep at the front of the public's mind, keep at the front of politicians' minds as well. It's a two-way street, of course, isn't it, from from the, the point of view of, of social care and the, the, the person who's being cared for uh, and, and the worker. And positive outcomes are so much more likely uh, when people are happy at work, aren't they? And when they feel that they are valued and uh, can enjoy what so many of them regard as being an enormously rewarding job. Yes, it is a really rewarding uh, job. That's absolutely true. But we shouldn't pretend that it's always an easy job because it's not. It's hard work and not everyone's suited to doing it. I mean, you have to be the sort of person who really cares about people, who enjoys relationships, who can work very, very hard in doing tasks that not everyone is comfortable with. Now, the problem is that that's not how we recruit people into social care. We, Because the demand is rising, a lot of employers, they're not just taking anyone they can get, but they're certainly not able to be as selective as maybe they need to be going through to the future. So I think we need to recognise that. And that's about status. It's about people understanding the role. But let's cut to the chase. It's also about money. You've got to pay people something more than minimum wage if you want to truly recognise the effort and skill that's needed to go into this work. So how are you going to push this forward? There's a consultation document. I mean, people may be listening to this um, after the the deadline for for, uh, putting your point of view forward has closed. But once that's taken into the system um, and and applied, if if that's the right word, um, how how does this all move forward then to to the sunlit uplands of a better social care system? Well, the first thing to say is that people have been responding really um, enthusiastically to the consultation. In fact, so much so that we've had to extend the deadline um, for closing the consultation. That's always a much better result than you know trying to drum up interest in something. People are really interested in this. I think going back to your earlier point, the pandemic has probably heightened interest in it. But then where do we go to? Well, what we've got are a number of themes and we've got a number of proposals under those themes which go through everything from how we have a sustainable system, how we recruit people, how we can retain people in social care, through to how we can give people more choice and control, through to how we recognise that most people want to be in their own home, wherever that is. Um, uh, And so we've got a range of proposals. We're asking people their views on those. We'll get the consultation responses back. We'll then summarise them, present them to our, our minister, who will then make a decision about what goes forward as the policy. But I think everything that might be needed is in the consultation document. And it is also going to be about choices. Um, This is a major reform of social care. We haven't had one for many, many years. And I think that it's not all going to be able to be done overnight, not least because there are going to be funding challenges in this. So a major reform of of social care. Um, What, in your view, are the the really crux points in that? I mean, you've mentioned things like choice, um, money, uh, 
whether it's coming from the government, whether it's coming from the, the person who's receiving the care, uh, the, the fact that people who are doing the work need to be paid a fair wage. Um, there are other elements I know uh, about how if, if the care is provided sooner than... Um, well, in a timely fashion, um, then that's much better than leaving it until it's almost too late. W- what are the most important point- points from your point of view? Well, let's start with that last one that you've mentioned, the idea of early intervention and prevention. Over the past number of years, uh, what's happened, and it's happened in a lot of services, as services are placed under more and more pressure, they do something to try and control that demand for their services. So what they do is what we describe in the business is raise the threshold. So you can't get a service until your situation is really quite serious. And that limits the number of people. The problem is that that means that by the time you do get a service, you need quite a significant service. So one of the things that this strategy is hoping to do is reset that piece and say, certainly we'll need to meet the needs of people which are complex and higher end needs, but we also need to start offering again early intervention services, preventative services, the sort of service that can pick a problem up before it's a really significant issue and help keep someone at home, functioning well, in control of their lives. So an example of one of the things we're we're, we're proposing is that once you hit 75, if you want, won't be forced on anyone, uh, you can have a preventative visit from from a social worker. Someone will come, see how you're doing, check out what are the issues that you're facing in your life and see are there any easy solutions that could be achieved before things become more significant. So that's a simple way of saying that we can do something earlier. Um, The other thing is that we're going to say to our health and social care trusts that alongside providing for those higher need services, you're going to have to start commissioning preventative early intervention services. And that's very interesting. I mean, I suppose people listening to this, we, we've all had experiences, I'm sure, with family members who've had difficulties at various times. Um, my sister-in-law uh, was in a wheelchair for her whole life and had a, a range of, of, of care that came into the home, but she was able to stay there on her own with only one arm working for uh, you know, for the rest of her life until she was in her 60s. And I know with my own mother that was the case when, when she was in her home. And it was simple things with her, like a railing in the right place, um, changing a step into a slope, um, just little things that, um, that that made a massive difference thanks to an occupational therapist who came and, and, and assessed the place. Those the kind of things you're talking about? Absolutely. Um, and, and the thing is that if you do those things early enough, you can help maintain someone's independence. If you're trying to get someone to gain back their independence after they've had to go into hospital, say, or after they've had a period in a care home, that's a much harder challenge something we do and it's something that can be done but it's better if you can intervene early so an emphasis on early intervention is one of the key things that we're doing um the other thing is about the workforce i would pick out because uh if you talk to people about their experience of social care two things they really really value good practical help but also the relationship Um, Quite often people who use social care can be uh, a a bit isolated and they will tell you time and time again that what can really make the difference in their day is having a carer who's positive, who they get on with and who they have a good relationship with. Now, 
that's really difficult to achieve if your carer changes every month or two. Um, and unfortunately, uh, because we don't make working in social care as attractive as it should be, people do change jobs, understandably. Um, you know, we're talking about a, a workforce which is largely uh, women. Um, who uh, are often working part-time and they're doing that because they've got other family commitments. They're often carers in their own lives as well. And so it's really hard for them to stick with that job if they've got the chance of earning more money in, say, a supermarket or in hospitality. So we have to start seriously rewarding this work in a way that people can stay in the work and develop careers. And that's, that's not just about making sure that we've got a workforce. It's about making sure people can have good relationships with the people they care for. One of the other elements that I thought was interesting in the consultation was about keeping it local. Um, because you, you often hear of social care workers who are driving all over the place to see their, their various uh, clients. Is that the right word? Uh, the, the people that they're yeah. caring for. Um, whereas perhaps it could be, uh, you know, they could be in, in, a, in a smaller area. Um, and you've been looking at the whole business of joined up services as, as well, if I could put it like that, you know, maybe local community being involved more. I know that um, uh, at various times uh, the local councils have talked about being involved in this kind of area, along with perhaps housing associations, many of whom are already doing some of this work and uh, and other local people. That's quite a change, isn't it? And, and certainly sounds like something which would be practical and sensible. Well, there are two elements to what you've just described. One is about integrating things better um, because, uh, unfortunately, that awful phrase I'm sure you've heard so many times about we work in silos um, and there's a bit of that with social care because social care is connected to everything. I mean, if you're looking to have someone lead the best quality of life they can, it's not just about the care going into the home, it's about the home itself and the housing needs, it's about how safe they feel in their neighbourhood, a whole range of things. So yes, we do want to get more integrated, both at the local level, but also one of the proposals is that we'll have a senior officials level uh, group at government level to make sure that we've got better joined up this in all of the planning. But the other thing is absolutely, you're right, we're interested in trying to develop more local and community-based solutions. Um, I think that when people who are providing the care feel they're part of the same community as the people they're providing the care to, you get better outcomes. I know from relatives of mine who, 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 who've had carers um, living in rural parts of the country, particularly actually in Armagh, and, you know, the relationship between the carer and the person receiving the care wasn't simply, oh, this is someone from a care agency. This is so-and-so whose father is so-and-so who lives down the road, who knew so-and-so, and it's all connected. And that sense of community, I think, is one of the things that will enrich care. Uh, it's also a protective factor because I think if you really value your neighbour and the member of the same community, you're going to be doing your very best for them. Very Northern Ireland. Well, yeah. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> what about the the fabric of the buildings that we live in? I mean, that, that must be important. I, I always think it's interesting. There's a, there's a street in Lisburn that I, I drive along sometimes which has some pensioners' bungalows in it. You're probably supposed to call them something else now, but I'm sorry about that. Um, and they, the, the older iteration of them have all had to have railings and so on because they've got steps up into them. And they have all of those things that if it, you know, give away the fact that there's a, an elderly person living there. The newer ones have a flat floor uh, and have, have been designed in a much more modern way. But that's something that 
we need for all of us really, isn't it, in future is to have different building standards perhaps, you know, so that every home uh, is going to be accessible for anybody. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons why it's important at government department level we start talking to each other a little bit more to make sure that we uh, do uh, have an input into things like planning standards. One of the proposals in the uh, strategy is that we will have uh, a clear uh, articulation of what works for people in terms of the environment they live in so that people who are looking to build can have access to expert knowledge um, when they're designing accommodation. We need more supported living and that's sort of accommodation specifically designed for people with additional needs. All of those things are really, really important because one thing that people tell us over and over and over again is that while they recognise that their needs may grow and they need more support, they really want to stay at home for as long as possible. So we need to make sure that those homes are homes for life. So where do we go from here? The, the consultation document, uh, the, the consultation ends in July. Um, and as you say, then um, it is pulled together, goes to the to the minister. If if we have one, I mean, we, we can't talk about this, I suppose, in isolation, can we? I mean, th that has been one of the things that has held all of this up for such a long time, hasn't it? The, the lack of, of a government. Unfortunately, it has. Um, and something gives me hope, but is also a, a, a cause for concern. We don't have an executive at the moment, and that is a cause for concern. Something that gives me hope is another area of our, our health and social care sector, which have been neglected for many years, was mental health services. Now, when we've had an executive running, they decided to prioritise mental health. So we have a new mental health strategy. We have a champion for mental health. We have a recognition across all executive ministers that funding for that is really important. We really need the same for social care. We need that degree of total commitment from our political leadership. And that does require um, a, 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 an executive to be formed. But we're not waiting. We are doing some things as we can uh, straight away. Uh, I mean, you might have heard... Uh, Going back to late last year, we put a significant amount of additional money into domiciliary care so that wages could be lifted because we recognised that as, as we were facing into the uh, Omicron wave, as it became known, we really needed to make sure that we had a supply of social care workers and we needed more money in the system to do that. So we've been doing things like that. We've established a fair work forum, which is where we're bringing together trade unions, employers, government to look at the issues that need to be tackled in terms of improving the terms and conditions for the workforce. So we're doing all of those things, but we do need to move this forward as a joined up coherent piece. And that's going to require um, a, a uh, Consultation summary being converted into a clear position of what we're going to do and then an implementation plan. Now, I think this is 10 years work, to be honest, because it's everything from simple, straightforward things that are quite easy to do through to bringing forward new legislation, which is never straightforward or easy and always takes longer than you think it's going to. So we're going to need a significant implementation plan. And that's why now we really need to make sure that we're raising awareness so that we've got the commitment, particularly of politicians, to see this through. Well, it must be heartening to you that there has been such such a response to the consultation because hopefully the people who care enough to respond will also be putting pressure on their political representatives to do something about this. So there's there's a bit of momentum there, isn't there? There is, but it's, it's momentum that needs to be channeled properly. Um, a lot of the momentum that's come 
over the pandemic period has been a fear that if there wasn't sufficient social care, the hospital sector would get into trouble. Now, that's an important issue. If people uh, are either having to go into hospital because they don't have the right social care or can't get out of hospital because there isn't the right social care, that is a serious issue. But it doesn't recognise the bigger picture, which is as or more important. We have thousands of people who have been assessed as having social care needs and those needs aren't being met. Now, they're not in hospital and they're not going into hospital and they're not blocking hospital beds, but they do need support to lead their lives. And the other group um, are the people who have been carrying the burden, in a sense, for the rest of us, and that's carers. Um, we really, really need to recognise that if we're reforming social care, we need to do more to support family and friend carers because they nearly always are providing the bulk of the care. What the state provides is almost always just a top-up to it. Um, the burden that falls on, on, on family carers is high, and for some of them it's so high it's not sustainable. So we really need to recognise it's more than just making sure that the hospital system works. Um, we need social care for everyone who needs it. If you had a magic wand, Sean, what, uh, how, and you could wave it now and and maybe pick two or three things that, that you would like to do as soon as possible that would make a massive difference? What, what, what might they be? I don't normally like talking about money, but I think the first thing has to be to pay people a decent wage for doing a really important job. Um, I, I once did a, a, a quick comparison when someone asked me, and I worked out that if you lived in Belfast, you would pay more for someone to walk your dog than to provide social care. Now, I love my dog and dogs are really important. But when you think about the vulnerability and the dependence that you have when you need social care, that the total trust you have to place in someone who provides that service to you, I really think that we should be getting the best possible people to do that. And we do get the best possible people. We need to reward them and keep them. So that would be one of the things. I think one of the other things is to bring a little bit of order to what I might call the marketplace of social care. Lots of different people provide social care. Our health and social care trusts provide social care. Private companies provide social care. The voluntary community sector provides social care. And that's fine. They all have different things to contribute, but it's become a little bit haphazard. One of the things that we've seen, I mean, we regulate the workforce. We regulate the services, but we don't regulate the market. Now, that might sound a bit boring, but the reality is because we don't regulate the market, this very week we have people who are facing the prospect of having to leave their care home, not because there's anything wrong with the care, but because the company is going out of business. Now, that just shouldn't happen. Can you imagine if you had to be put out of your house simply because someone had made some bad business decisions? Um, so we really need to bring some market regulation. And that'll have benefit for the people who use social care because it'll be more stable. But it'll also have benefit for the people who provide social care. One of their arguments is that we don't pay them enough to provide the service they need. A market regulator would look at, well, what is a fair rate of profit and what does it actually cost to provide care? So I think those are two things that would be really important to me. The third thing is to break through some of the bureaucracy that we, and I say we, the system I'm part of, has have created um, that gets in the way of people making choices. You know, not everyone's 
ambitions fall neatly into boxes. Not everyone wants to go to a day centre. They want to lead their own life. And we need to become a lot more flexible in recognising that, responding to that, and maybe funding things in a more innovative way than we're used to. Do you think it's going to make a difference, just as a kind of final point, that the the older people of the future are... You and me. <laughs> the awkward <laughs> you know, squad. Yeah, exactly. You know, we want to listen to the Rolling Stones and not Charlie Pride. No, there's nothing wrong with Charlie Pride. You know, but um, I can't see the likes of you and me being in a care home the way that they exist now. I mean, we might well need it. And I needed social care last year when I broke my leg and needed help at home. And it was it was wonderfully provided by by someone locally. But we're we're not our parents' generation, uh, and I think we have different expectations, don't we? We do. The first thing I would say is there are excellent care homes, and they absolutely bend over backwards to tailor the service they provide to the needs and desires of the people who use it. But you're right, we're going to be different. I mean, I think that when I think back to my mother and certainly my grandmother, uh, who lived in a pre-NHS era, they were just grateful. There was this absolute whatever they got, they were pleased to get, because particularly my grandmother could remember a time when you didn't get those things. So there wasn't any high expectation. You and I have been consumers in a different kind of way. We expect customer service. We expect things to be right. We expect things to be of high quality. So that's going to have an impact. The other big difference, I think, is that we've grown through a period where awareness of human rights is much higher. Um, and we'll expect services not simply to be nice and comfortable, but we'll expect those services to protect and enhance our human rights. Um, and that's going to be a big change. And finally, yes, I think there's going to be a lot more Rolling Stones being played in the day rooms. <laughs> Sean, thank you so much for talking to me. That's Sean Holland, uh, Department of Health Chief Social Worker, reimagining a brighter social care future for all. This has been Care to Chat, a podcast by the Northern Ireland Social Care Council. Please do subscribe and rate us. You can find the whole series wherever you get your podcasts. And do tell your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening. <laughs>